0: All right, mate, we ready to rock and roll.
1: Ready to rock and roll.
0: Are you scared? Always. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, G'day, and welcome back to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. I am here today with our former Prime Minister, Mr. Tony Abbott himself. Tony was a Prime Minister of Australia uh, 2013 to 2015. And I could spend half the podcast sitting here going back through all of your achievements and accolades, Tony. But thank you so much, first and foremost, for your service to our country and also for coming on here and having a chat
1: with us. Well, Heston, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to be with your fellow veterans. Uh, But I've got to say that uh, the service that we politicians render is uh, not to be compared uh, for a second uh, with the service that you military personnel render because... While we suffer potential reputational death, we never put our lives on the line the way you guys do. So, look, uh, I was uh, privileged and proud to serve in the Parliament for 25 years. Obviously, it was a wonderful thing to lead the Liberal Party for six years and to lead the country for two, but uh, I take my hat off to anyone who has worn our country's uniform, and in particular to those who have seen active service in theatres of war. So uh, I am in awe of you and your veteran colleagues.
0: No, we appreciate that, Tony, and particularly during the time that you were Prime Minister, we definitely served, and I myself served overseas during that time. But Mm -hmm. uh, i say to you this, as former Prime Minister yourself, uh, my enemies were in front of me. Most of (laughs) yours were behind you with knives, and I definitely think you had much more of an adversarial terrain than I ever had to encounter, counterinsurgencies
1: and all. Look, uh, politics is a pretty dispiriting business, <laughs> and you're right. You can't always trust the people who are supposed to be your friends and allies, but I dare say in a counterinsurgency war it's hard to know who are your friends and who are your allies, and I suspect uh, in in Afghanistan and elsewhere – uh, the enemy didn't wear a uniform. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so you've had to deal with much the same thing. That's it. But I tell you what, we at least got to prepare
0: for and train and go over and mm. do those things. You have to, you have to live with it every single day of your life. And there's no
1: real delineation between inside the wire and outside the wire, is there? That's the problem with politics. Um, I, I mean, uh, there are times when I think to myself, I would rather not be bombarded uh, with politics, but. You only have to turn on the TV or the radio and you've only got to pick up a newspaper and it hits you. Um, if you're a ex-footballer, for instance, and for whatever reason you've been retired from the game, uh, there's nothing to make you sit in the stands. Uh, but uh, it's pretty hard to avoid uh, politics, uh, even if as a, a recovering politician <laughs> you sometimes think it would be best if you did. Yeah. No,
0: absolutely. I mean, there's so much I want to dive into this today, Tony. The, the purpose of this podcast is really for the majority of our listeners who are veterans and even just anyone at the moment in this climate we're going through, discussing conversations such as loss of purpose, loss mm-hmm. of identity, loss of community. I mean, you yourself have gone from being the leader of our nation and through to a number of transitions in your own life. and. I really want to dive first into, Tony, that, that purpose that saw you want to take up mm-hmm. the mantle uh, and represent our country and do what you could to not only change our country, but change the world and, and, and take us on that journey of that, that intrinsic purpose that, that
1: fired you to your where you, where you have been. Mm. Well, Heston, I was lucky enough to be educated by the Jesuits. And back in the 1970s, uh, when I was in secondary school, uh, the Jesuits had this... if you like, they wanted all of their youngsters to try to be men for others. Uh, The purpose of life was not to get rich, it was not to have fun, Uh, it wasn't to indulge yourself, it was to leave the world a better place insofar as you could by being a good parent, by being a good sibling, by being a good friend, by being a good workmate and wherever possible – by trying to be your best self. Now, I very much imbibed that. I had a lot of uh, wonderful teachers and a couple of mentors that stayed with me uh, for life uh, from the Jesuits. And so when I left school and went off to university, I I certainly wanted to make a difference. I got involved in student politics in my first year at university. Started writing because I thought that uh, if you are a... Conservative in what even then was a radically progressive milieu. Uh, You've got to fight the fight of ideas. You can't just run for election. You've got to actually get out there and try to persuade people that some of the what I thought crazy notions uh, uh, actually were contrary to common sense and reason. So I started writing. Eventually I became a journalist. Uh, Then I became a political staffer. Then when I left staffing, I became an advocate, I guess, working for Australians for Constitutional Monarchy. And then in 1994, I was lucky enough to win a pre-selection to Parliament and spent the next 25 years uh, there. So so I had this very strong sense of uh, duty and service, if you like. And yeah, uh, no longer being a member of Parliament leaves a big gap in your life, a very big gap in your life. Um I'm lucky. Uh, I'm, I was on the old parliamentary pension scheme, so uh, I, I don't have to go out and scrabble for a, for a living. And as a former prime minister, uh, I get an office uh, and a couple of staff. So I'm in an incredibly lucky and privileged position. But uh, the fact is that uh, I am now a spectator on things that I was once a participant in. I'm now an observer rather than an executive, yes. and that can't help but be frustrating.
0: I can a, a smile creeps across my face hearing you say that, yeah. Tony. only because, like you say, uh, all, all the money in the world, all the staff in the world, all this doesn't fill the gap that was that responsibility mm-hmm. they've once had, and you've had that at the at the pinnacle as a Prime Minister of our nation. And, um, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed your time as our Prime Minister. I fondly remember 2014, I was the adjutant mm-hmm. at Two Commando where you came out, for a breakfast uh, to do some morning PT, physical training with us. And you turned up in your green and gold Wallabies jersey. And I'd freshly recovering from a a snap patella tendon. But we sat there and we spoke with you and we had, you know, the majority of our forces contributed to Afghanistan. And, you know, I myself have really struggled in my progression from the military, just losing my platoon, you know, losing that responsibility to represent our nation. And that's really been a lot for me personally. But uh, you yourself, obviously, um, you you sit here with a smile and, Uh, And fantastic personality. It was just fascinating for us and for those listening to really hear about your transition from that purpose that was leading our country through to um, what you went through yourself in that transition from that position.
1: Look, uh, nearly everything ends at some point in time. Uh, Obviously, if you're playing rugby, you can't keep playing um, forever. At some stage, I suppose you can graduate to golden oldies, but you can't play at the same intensity that you do in your twenties and maybe your early thirties. If you're the CEO of BHP or something, eventually uh, you'll have to give it away. So, so all of these things eventually come to an end and we just have to accept that. I guess the challenge is to have a, a sufficient sense of self and, a sufficient range of purposeful activities to be able to uh, make the adjustment without too much psychological trauma. Inevitably, there will be a sense of regret. Inevitably, there will be a sense of longing. Inevitably, uh, there will be, I suppose, nostalgia uh, for that which for that which was. Um, I can remember years and years ago. It wasn't all that long. Ago, it was in two thousand and eight, running into uh, Kim Beasley mm-hmm. Uh, at a conference. Beasley, in my judgment, is probably the most outstanding politician of recent times, never to have become Prime Minister. And uh, I said to Kim, we had dinner together one night. I said, So, Kim, do you have any advice for me? I was uh, uh, a somewhat uh, disgruntled uh, mid ranking opposition front bencher at the time after the Howard government had lost the election. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, never retire. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And I said, "Uh, so you miss it. And he said, every minute of every hour of every day of every week, yes, I miss it. And um, that's, I think, uh, the position that so many uh, former politicians, particularly senior ones, find themselves in. But, again, you you just have to accept that um, you go into it, eventually you'll come out of it. And... You have to be reconciled with with these things. Nothing is more inevitable than that every life in politics will end, just as nothing is more inevitable that every life in the armed forces yeah. uh, will uh, will eventually change into something different. Now, the great thing about our military is that uh, almost to a man and a woman, our our military are very well-trained, they're highly capable people, Uh, most of them are very resilient people. I'd reckon there'd be very few former military personnel who couldn't find a very worthwhile place in post-military life. The challenge, I guess, <coughs> is to manage that transition and, uh, and, and not to find the shock of moving from a structured, purposeful life to a less structured, less obviously purposeful life to difficult. And, and, and I guess people wouldn't be human if they didn't at times feel a little bit adrift and maybe even a bit lost. But the challenge is to draw on... Your reserves of self-belief and faith in things that are bigger and better than any individual uh, to draw on those reserves and help them inspire whatever transition people make. Yeah, I think the really key point you touched on there, Tony, was that
0: sense of self Mm -hmm. and particularly for people like yourself and particularly for those who are suffering the highest risk demographic in our veteran Mm -hmm. community transitioning. A lot of those transitions or ending of their career or retirement is actually happening before they thought the natural evolution was to occur. you
1: know, And, and that's right. I yeah. mean, if you're, you know, a fit, strong 30-year-old uh, and suddenly for whatever reason you're told that your services in the military are no longer required, yeah. that's pretty shattering. Yeah. Uh, if you transition from being, if you're like a frontline soldier uh, to, uh, to someone working uh, in the logistics or uh, someone who's not quite as exposed, uh, I guess that's... You're still part of the big family, mm. uh, even if you're not doing quite the same things that you once were. In the same way that I suppose a a, a child becomes a parent, becomes a grandparent. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you don't leave the family, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, and 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 I know that just at the moment, there's probably some people in our special forces community who are feeling particularly um, under stress. Uh, because of various things that have, uh, that have happened. So um, I, I, I feel for, for them. Um, I don't want to go into the rights and wrongs of things that have been bandied around in the media yep. other than to say that all of us have got to strive to live by the best standards, whatever we're doing. But, um, but you've still got to feel for people um, who have suddenly been told that that which they had given their life to is no longer for them. Yes. And certainly as someone who's never been shot at, um, I'm pretty slow to judge those who have.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, you're right. There's a, there's a lot. I don't want to dive into too much of that, but it's just in particular that that sense of self and what we found a lot, particularly in the veteran community, I'm keen to hear any parallels with yourself and your own transition, mm-hmm. Tony, is that our sense of self is our strongest in service. Mm-hmm. And we talk about resilience and I'm I'm... Backtracking where I was at my best and where I was at my lowest, um, resilience was actually that key thing that was missing because a lot of my resilience in service in, indeed came from my own personal preparation, but particularly in a leadership position, it then came from the purpose that was the mission um, be that serving the nation, be that tactically, and then also the men or the team that I had. And as soon as I transitioned um, and really lost that sense of identity, that sense of self that was me as a leader, was me as a responsible um, Special Forces officer and lost those layers that had my mindset outside of myself and essentially the, the, the noise came into my own head and the, the emotional pain started being my own mm-hmm. as opposed to someone else's. It was really fascinating
1: for me to realise and, that. And, and look, doesn't matter what you're doing, uh, it's important to program yourself positively rather than negatively. And all of us have a tendency to talk ourselves down in our heads whatever we might say to other people. And, and uh, too many of us, uh, in a sense, program ourselves to fail um, by just a succession of, of, of negative thoughts. Now, plainly, your environment is incredibly important. Mm. Um, and anyone who derives a significant sense of self from the work they do uh, is vulnerable the moment that work is no longer there. It's one of the reasons why unemployed people have such um, a propensity to mental health issues um, because um, if there's nothing to get out of bed for every day, if there's nothing to leave the house for every day, uh, if there's nothing to keep you busy every day, is it any wonder that that there are problems? And And so, you know, this is why going back into... Uh, my time in public life as a minister for employment, I was so keen to get people who had been unemployed for a long period of time doing stuff, uh, even if it was only work for the dole, because uh, it is so much better to be demonstrating to yourself what you can do rather than demonstrating to yourself what you can't do. Uh, and, and you know, one of the things that uh, I've certainly found Wonderful throughout my time uh, in public life, or certainly um, since about two thousand, was my service in the in the rural fire That's brigade. Like I mean, uh, I mean, you might be a busy minister, but uh, uh, it's very good to be grounded mm. with a group of people who aren't very interested in politics, uh, who aren't particularly impressed by a title, uh, but who you are working with and serving with in something which is unambiguously good for the community. So I've enjoyed every second of my time with the Davidson Rural Fire Brigade and certainly uh, it was quite fortuitous for me that uh, not that long after being unceremoniously turfed, not just from the Prime Ministership but from the Parliament in May of 2019... Uh, I then found myself in the middle of the worst bushfire season New South Wales has ever experienced. Mm. And I think over the summer of 2019-20, I spent about 60 days one way or another on the back of a fire truck. And um, that was, for me, uh, a personally very uh, satisfying thing to be doing, even though obviously you were dealing with what was a dreadful trauma and disaster for the people of New South Wales, but the ability... To serve in this way, um, it's it's been great for me, and I'm sure there are so many things for former soldiers to do. Whether it's the police, whether it's the ambulance, well, I think it's just focusing
0: uh, on what you were saying. It's mm-hmm. finding that that purpose, and in particular, you know, for myself now, even engaging with the veteran community, which I never did before my own downtime. It's finding that ability to be selfless and the okay. ability to be selfless for others. Um, that, like you said aren't there for rank, title or position. Mm-hmm. It comes down to tangible and intangible dividends that are on the human and emotional level. And it's fascinating you're saying that throughout, from 2000, you were involved with the Rural Fire mm-hmm. Service. Um, I'm interested to see th- how how did you balance that with your time within Parliament, um, noticing that it really was a critical enabler during your transition period? Yeah.
1: Well, look, it, it was always... Uh, I mean, you, your jobs, you, your paid job has got to come first, mm-hmm. but... Um, for instance, uh, on, on total fire ban days, um, when I was a Member of Parliament, uh, I was sometimes able to uh, rearrange my day so that uh, the stuff I had to do with others I would do uh, in the morning so then in the afternoon you could go up with your fellow fireys to the station and be available for any fire calls that came through. Um, most of the fire season is uh, is in December, January, and January was a downtime for politics. So over the years, even as Prime Minister, I was able to uh, spend a bit of time with the brigade uh, for fires that happened on the weekend, at night, uh, or in that time of the year when even politicians are taking a break. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um-
0: One of the key questions I want to draw out and focus on here is that I happily state that one of the key um, aspects of you as a person and professional is your authenticity that the Australian people really connect with. Um, I know I particularly connect with that, like you're saying, that pure authenticity of happy to get out there on the ground and not hold up what others would expect. To uh, see
1: from a politician, but but Heston, the last thing I would want to do is put myself on a pedestal. Uh, I I have all the usual human flaws and fail, failings, and many
0: people uh, don't admit that
1: though, uh, Tony. Uh, many uh, people will happily sit there and you I know. know I'd, you ra- r- I'd rather not go into
0: the detail. of No, all. absolutely, we're not going to do that. We won't do that. That's a, yeah. uh, that, that's 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 your uh, that's your own level of authenticity yeah. to bear yeah. or hold. But yeah. just simply acknowledging the fact that that we are human, you know, particularly in today's society, uh, definitely at least pre this 2020 COVID business, Mm -hmm. uh, the expectations of aspiration and inspiration, I think were quite unachievable. And it's all about having those relatable conversations from aspirational, inspirational people like yourself. And even just to hear you say, you know, you are human. You know, we saw that during your prime ministership. I won't go into comments about wearing Speedos and whatnot, (laughs) but (laughs) even just that though, Tony, you've got to understand, particularly from someone in the military. Seeing how much you actually prioritize your own fitness. Mm. You know, I'm intrigued. As a, as a as a member of Parliament, as a as a minister, as a prime minister, what's is there any does the party have a, a fitness trainer? Do you have a nutritionist?
1: You know, what, what focus is there on this outside of personal motivation? I, I've always tried to stay physically fit. Probably vanity as much as anything else. Ah right. But 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 the beach body. But but Physical fitness is an important part of mental fitness. Absolutely. For me, at least. Mm-hmm. And I also found that um, the more energy you spend, the more energy you've got. And one thing you need at the senior levels of public life is a lot of energy and a lot of mental resilience. Now, um, getting up at five o'clock and riding your bike up and down Red Hill or Getting up at five o'clock and flogging yourself in the gym for forty-five minutes or an hour uh, may not be everyone's idea of fun, but if you do it, it means that you've got a lot more uh, reserves of uh, of 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 mental resilience yeah. for the day ahead. And I certainly found or maybe maybe all of us are different in this respect, but I certainly found that uh, it was a very important part of maintaining equilibrium in the midst of an incredibly stressful life. And I figure if I didn't make myself get up and do that fairly vigorous exercise almost every day, <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I, I maybe wouldn't have been sleeping, uh, I maybe would have been drinking more, I maybe would have been pill dependent and things like that. And that's the last thing you want. No, it's fascinating to hear that because,
0: you know, particularly I get to sit in the corporate space myself these days and you
1: feel it yourself, the busier
0: we get, usually fitness is the first thing to drop off. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like one of your core principles has always been
1: your personal fitness and it's first thing in the morning, is it? Absolutely. Because particularly if you've got a very demanding job, your day can close in on you. Yeah. You can say to yourself all you like, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to go and have, go for a run at lunchtime or no. uh, I'm going to go and visit the gym after question time, whatever it might be. But four times out of five, something happens and you can't do that. Uh, so the only way to make sure nine times out of ten it does happen is to say, well, I would otherwise be getting up at six Today, I'm going to get up at quarter to five so that I get that hour of exercise in. Prioritising yourself,
0: investing in yourself the first thing of the day. That's so fantastic. I know myself, I I don't drink coffee, so I have to go to the gym first thing in the morning. Otherwise, I'm sluggish out <laughs> the whole day. But same thing, if I put it off to later in the day, not only might something pop up, but just my own headspace while you're at uh, the gym, there will have been something you're thinking uh, about and you'll be uh, distracted. Uh, what, is your, what is your go-to favourite fitness activity,
1: Tony? Well, at the moment... I'm doing less and less running, I've got to say, yeah. because uh, once you, I've I've no, I noticed once I got past 50, there was a lot more soft tissue injuries. So less running, more cycling. Okay. And I try at least once a week to get down to the beach to have a surf because uh, whether the waves are, uh, you know, big, small or in between, uh, and if they're big, it can be a bit daunting, but yeah. nevertheless, it's just a wonderfully exhilarating pastime. Do you enjoy working out by yourself or with others? Uh, if I can find people to go to the gym with, that's great. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I'm I, happy to go by myself. I've got to say, in more recent times, uh, I've been going to classes right. in the gym. And nice. I think that's, that's pretty good because uh, you can't goof off if there's someone... Yelling at you! Um, <laughs> We're not talking <laughs> to about finish
0: the routine. It's not the fluorescent sweatbands. bands. No, and no, not okay, that gotcha, stuff. But gotcha.
1: you know, um, there was a—I uh, uh, shouldn't go into names—but the Dan at Monica, okay. uh, um, oh, terrific, idea. terrific fellow who used to be the AFP Cir- trainer, circuit training, uh, yeah. was uh, was was running that, okay. and so um, I found the circuit training there terrific, brilliant. Mm.
0: Oh, good to hear. When you're actually in politics, Tony, is there a focus on that or is it all individually based? So, like, does the party have a fitness plan? No,
1: no, no, no. Look, politics is one of those things for which there is no formal preparation, no formal training, no formal uh, continuous professional education, nothing. Um, uh, The only thing you might get, if you're lucky, is a bit of mentoring uh, if you can find uh, more senior people who you trust who are prepared to take you under their wing. I was lucky enough, I guess, uh, to get a bit of mentoring from John Howard back in the day. It's a pretty Uh, great mentor to have. (laughs) um, I was lucky enough to have uh, some really good friends in the parliamentary ranks over the years, uh, but um, but but there's no formal training. Um, if if I mean every every election will spawn a class of uh, you know 2019 or a class of 2016. I was I was a bit of an orphan as I came in in a by-election between the 1993 and the 1996 elections. So strictly speaking, I think that made me part of the class of 94. Uh, I mean, we had one or two dinners, I think, yep. uh, back in the day, and and you were encouraged at those dinners to um, ask questions and so on. But members of parliament are expected to have all the answers, mm. and uh, it's often a bit infra for a dig for a member of parliament, particularly one who's been there for a bit, to ask too many questions uh, uh, to... Admit to too many vulnerabilities yeah. uh, or insecurities, so it makes it a particularly lonely occupation in that sense.
0: Is that a is that a self imposed expectation, or is that what you've experienced from direct feedback?
1: Well, as I said, um, I was probably lucky in that I always had one or two people in the parliament who I felt I could be. Almost entirely candid with. For most of the time, there were one or two people in the parliament who I felt were uh, soul mates, if you like. Oh, wow. uh, so I was I was pretty lucky, and and as well, I've got a group of friends outside the parliament, uh, people who I went to school and university with, people who have been in the cycling group for a long time. Uh, Cycling group and the surfing group are kind of a mobile men's shed, if you like. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so I've been pretty lucky in that sense, but but I do think one of the reasons why a lot of people sense that a lot of their elected representatives are out of touch is because you don't just live in a Canberra bubble; you can easily live in a personal bubble where. Not much gets shared with anyone other than perhaps if you've got a good family, your immediate
0: family. Yeah, absolutely. You spoke about this, the men's shed and this family and support network and a big thing I have at the moment um, for the veteran community is really trying to get them together and connect and have these Mm -hmm. conversations. You can imagine the military, um, you're on the bus and then as soon as it's time to transition, it's like jumping out of a moving vehicle and trying to catch up and your ability to then re-engage with that community and have conversations that are essentially mental fitness sessions and decompressions are very hard to do. And what you've just explained is that you've, by the sounds of it, maintained a pretty good support network outside of the workplace mm-hmm. that's complimented you personally and professionally and allowed you to do this. Yeah. Was that
1: always a constant throughout or is that something you've just appreciated now? Look, it was a constant throughout, but I suppose there are different times when you appreciate it more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I can remember sitting down with the cycling group and, um, many of whom are people who I was at school or university with, uh, the weekend after I had knighted Prince Philip. Oh, wow. And a few of them said to me, why didn't you ask our advice? Oh, dear. So, So, look, uh, um, you can have all these uh, wonderful friends, but uh, if you don't make use of them, uh, that's in the end to your detriment. Absolutely. But, But... That's the thing. Um, you, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, uh, we all need networks of human intimacy. Yes. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you have to be able to tell any one person everything. Agreed. But there need to be people with whom collectively yep. you can be as, as candid as you you feel you need to be, or can be. I mean, you you need to be able to be yourself with people in different and, layers, and, and, in and some and, different layers, and, and and be able to trust yeah. that they are going to uh, respect, uh, understand, and accept who and what you are. Absolutely, and you, you spoke previously. I. Even just trying to fathom
0: this adversarial terrain that you have to operate in, you can imagine going through the military process. You all go through your your training, and then within special forces, you know it's it's a year long training whereby we select the right person and then train them to do what is needed to be done. And it's so insightful even hearing that there is no really professional onboarding course, let alone ongoing career management within politics, let alone support personally during politics and the transition period. It really is quite the. Lone Ranger, and sure is. I'm sure, sure is. along the way, you've probably absolutely got to appreciate the true value of true friends, and I'm sure you've also had a lot of others attracted to you for their own purpose. Um, have you really had to go through that period of making sure you're surrounding yourself with those who are best supporting you? I could imagine, particularly as you achieved early success, you would have been surrounded by a lot of people that probably took up more of your emotional energy than actually supported your professional purpose.
1: Yeah, look, I I think I've always been pretty good at sifting out uh, people who are users from people who are genuine friends. Uh, There's absolutely no doubt that a lot of people who are, for whatever reason, apparently doing well, attract all sorts of Mm hangers-on. And I guess uh, a few of them might turn out to be good people, but many of them don't. And you've got to have, a I guess, a, a sort of a humbug detector uh, which is, <laughs> or a good chief of staff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was lucky in that respect. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I could imagine values like you know teamwork and integrity. Mm. I sit here and listen to be you know I, could, I knew as a bare minimum I could trust my team. You know mm. we've been through such common ground. We'll forge with adversity, um, but particularly operating within your environment, you know. Mm. It must have been very difficult, but also very uh, incredible. Find those who truly were mm. actually loyal and showed their own personal integrity and moral courage would have been the key. Answer. Ab-
1: absolutely right. And and look, you know, the tougher the the sphere in which you're operating, um, the the more readily people can break. Uh, and and even the best of us can, in important respects, fail. And and so you can't be too disappointed when that happens, Um, but I guess it's a question of uh, have people failed or broken in ways that reveal a fundamental character flaw or have people failed or broken in ways which just reveal a certain basic humanity that all of us are prone to?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now Tony, in your own experiences, the reason why we first connected was you actually reached out to me after hearing me on Alan Jones Mm -hmm. talking about contemplating my own um, suicide, and mm-hmm. there is one phrase that sticks in my head that we spoke about in a previous conversation was that you went from um, wanting to and being able to change the world to screaming at the uh, screaming at the moon, and it's a mm-hmm. it's a fantastic analogy mm-hmm. because I've found myself in that place, and particularly for me, it was transitioning from where I was really able to provide physical courage, and now having to step into what has been the more difficult realm and demonstrate moral courage. And you stand here as a man providing so much insight and experience, but. I know personally that actually comes from a place of going through these things mm. yourself personally, as opposed to studying these and uh, your relationship with your own mental health during your time, um, in parliament. And since then, you know, when did you actually finally get fully acquainted and intimate with who you are, what you need and how it can actually empower you moving forward?
1: Uh, Heston, <laughs> I think all of us are on a journey and, <laughs> I, I don't claim to be an entirely together person. Um, my dad was a wonderful man uh, and I'm sure till the end of his days he was still learning more about himself and discovering more about the world. So look, um, uh, I, I, I don't claim that I kind of suddenly clicked here or clicked there or had some kind of bolt of blue that from the blue that Made me this or made me that. Now I've just uh, always tried to work things out as as, as best I, I could. And you're dead right about this moral issue. I mean, uh, I think it was General Slim who famously said uh, years and years ago, "Moral courage is a far is a far higher and rarer virtue than physical courage." Mm-hmm. Um, um, very true. Very true. I, the risk of sounding preachy, Heston, one of the other things that I guess I've been blessed with is um, a a level of religious faith. Mm -hmm. I don't claim to be the world's greatest Christian, and I certainly find that my, I suppose, level of comfort uh, waxes and wanes, but uh, familiarity with the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, is... experience of the sacraments, Mm -hmm. if you're a Catholic, uh, is, uh, I think, very comforting. Certainly for me, it's been very comforting. And one of the things that makes me worry about the modern world is that at least in countries like Australia, uh, a level of spiritual knowledge and religious insight, uh, which could have been taken for granted uh, for centuries is now largely absent mm. and and it's hard but, not to sometimes think of the level of mental distress uh, as being in some way related to the loss of faith in those higher things which sustained people for so so much for history
0: that's it that higher purpose absolutely i mean like i said before my levels of
1: resilience during
0: times requiring physical courage came from that purpose outside of self. And Mm. you said it before in a previous conversation with me as well, be that religion, be that patriotism, Mm. Um, you know, and I I definitely sit here being raised in a a Christian household and I find myself at the moment really sort of starved on that patriotism side of the house. Um, Mm. You know, we're launching our campaign, looking into Anzac Day and these great monuments we need to bring the Australian people together as a culture Um, But I'm 100% with you, Tony. We can
1: get together for the tennis, but we can't get together for Anzac. Watch watch this
0: this space, Tony. That's (laughs) definitely, with your support, from from, so that's definitely going to happen. But, um, yeah, Tony, you were saying beforehand that, you you know, this definitely hasn't been this big click from the blue. Uh, Mm -hmm. Are you you saying that you still sometimes have days where you're not feeling 100%? Of course.
1: I, I, I
0: doubt that there would be anyone who doesn't. But you don't, you don't realize, Tony, that not many people of, you know, your former position and status and the okay. person you are here today are happy to admit that there's still this sort of stigma around these things. And it's not saying that mm. you're weak; it's saying that you're you're bloody human.
1: Look, I mean, Winston Churchill was famously dogged by depression, uh, greatest democratic statesman of all time, and his black dog, as he called it, would be with him as almost routinely. Uh, I, I mean. If your job is to is is to lift people up and inspire people, uh, the last thing you can do is is uh, radiate doubt or confusion, but the fact that you uh, present as confident and sure doesn't mean that you're free of doubt. yeah,
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to hear that, you know we definitely particularly for those who have purpose that is others, you know, do what needs to be done, but Mm. fully acknowledge that behind the scenes there's a lot more going on.
1: Yeah, it was wonderful. I remember (laughs) there was a great TV series many years ago uh, based on the Hornblower books. Oh, yeah. And there was a wonderful, wonderful little vignette uh, at the end of one of the episodes where Hornblower had – gone off to try to rescue this village uh, where the Royalists were resisting the Republicans um, in, uh, in Revolutionary France. And it was an absolute disaster. The Royalists turned out to be um, not worth the effort. The Republicans turned out to be brutal and cruel. And Hornblower eventually escapes from the Malay uh, with his, uh, his Marines more or less intact. And he goes to sit down with uh, the captain and basically says, look, this whole thing was a bloody disaster. Why the hell did we do it? And uh, and the captain, uh, Captain Pellew, uh, says to young uh, Lieutenant Hornblower, uh, having listened to this lament, he just says to him, um, never fail to be an inspiration to your men. Yeah. Uh, our job is to turn adversity uh, into opportunity. Yeah. And And I'm sure... <laughs> There wouldn't be a single person uh, who does not, at times, think, "Is this really the right thing to do?" But if it is your mission uh, to lift people up and to take them along with you, well, you've just got to stick at it.
0: Absolutely, you know, it's finding that finding that link to your personal belief mm-hmm. to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, Tony, just the last leading on from here is your your purpose from here. You know, you are. Um, I know you have a number of things you're going on. Professionally, personally, you have your family, you have your routine, like you told us beforehand, uh, you know, when we talk about those, those days where you might be struggling, you know, what is, what is that purpose, that intrinsic purpose, that motivation that really uh, fires you forward, that has you dressing so smartly and sitting here talking uh, to someone like me uh, on a day that you might not to anyway? Heston,
1: uh, you, you've just got to do whatever you can in whatever circumstances you find yourself. Uh, again, to go back to the Jesuits, uh, be a, uh, a good parent, um, a good sibling, uh, a good spouse, uh, a good colleague and wherever you find the opportunity uh, to make a difference, to make a positive difference, uh, do your best. And where for whatever reason you don't quite do your best, you let someone down, maybe sometimes it's impossible uh, to do all People would like, just try to be better the next day. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm. The the key takeaway my father told me before joining the military was two things be good at your job and be a good person. Mm. The rest will fall into play. Mm. Um, And it's been absolutely fantastic sitting here listening to you today, um, Tony Abbott, to really hear about your own uh, journeys across that way. And also just to be uh, honest and real with where you've been, where you're going. Um, And also just being a really great friend to our veteran community. I know also, quickly closing out, that you're actually heavily involved with Disaster Relief Australia. I think you're about to go and deploy and support them. And talking about having that purpose and connecting with the community, um, that's really a great organisation I'm looking to try and push a lot more for our veteran.
1: Look, uh, yep, I'm looking forward to doing uh, a lot in that space. I mean, obviously I'm on the War Memorial Council, which um, I guess is is a way to help um, keep the uh, keep the flame aloft, as it were. Uh, but yeah, anything I can do to help the veterans, uh, I will. I'm very conscious of the fact that when I was Prime Minister, I put uh, our armed forces in harm's way from time to time. The least I can do is uh, try to show as much support as I can.
0: Absolutely. And we appreciate that. And we've spoken about this previously, you know, the, the best thing that can be done for most of our armed forces is actually putting us to work and letting us do our jobs. And Honestly, I personally appreciate that from you. And one final takeaway I'd like to harp on here is it's also been fantastic to sit here and listen to a man like yourself present a mindset that is still open and honest and looking forward to learning more about himself and more about the world. You can imagine it's so easy to perhaps sit back and look at someone like you thinking, you know, sort of been there and done it. But you're sitting here with a fresh, fresh mind, a sponge ready to go. So Uh, You might retire from a job, but you never retire from life. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Well, Tony Abbott, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate this and really look forward to uh, speaking to you again and seeing your, your purpose and your mission from here. Thanks, Heston, Brilliant. Thanks for listening to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. We really hope that there were some key takeaways that might help you, be they relatable, be they aspirational, but we're not just here for your entertainment, so please make sure you remember, move on and action from here. And that's it, guys. If you've heard something here today that has truly helped you, it's our duty to share that information with as many as we can. Support is about being proactive, and that's taking action to better our own lives as well as the lives of as many mates as we can. We love your support getting these messages out, so please subscribe. Go to our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Voice of a Veteran. Catch you next time. See ya.